For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Wounded Warrior Project is working to foster the most successful generation of veterans in our nation's history. One of the ways they do that is through adaptive sports. Veterans are some of the most resilient people on the planet. It's not about what you can't do after experiencing injury or illness. It's about tapping into what you can do. Learn more about how Wounded Warrior Project's adaptive sports programs are changing lives at www.woundedwarriorproject.org sports. This show is brought to you by K Jewelers. Listen up, NFL fans. K just dropped a collection of officially licensed NFL jewelry. Shop your favorite team in the True Fans Fine Jewelry Collection at k.com slash truefans. Gear up for the season and celebrate the love of the game with K. The third Buffalo takeaway today. And it's a throw. That's going to be a Buffalo touchdown to Gabriel Davis. But he's got some blocks. John Brown zooming inside the five. First and goal, Buffalo. Plenty of time for Josh Allen. Wide open. It's a touchdown, Buffalo Bills. This is the Buffalo Nerd with Colt Schroeder. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of the Buffalo Nerd. Uh, I am the host, uh, Colt Schroeder. As you guys can see, I do have a special guest again with me this week who I'm very excited to chat with. Uh, the Just chatting with him before we got started got me even more fired up to keep chatting with him because this man is a wealth of football knowledge. I'm joined by uh, Mr. Russell Baxter, uh, pro football guru founder. Uh, Mr. Baxter, sir, uh, thank you for being here. Excited to have you. Uh, why don't you let everybody kind of know a little bit about yourself? Well, I've uh, been a member of the NFL media, per se, for almost 40 years. Uh, spent 22 years at ESPN. Uh, Thursday Night Football stint with CBS, uh, which was a blast going on the road and so on. Um, been to my share of Super Bowls and NFL drafts, and my favorite thing to go do is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, inductions every year, which unfortunately didn't really have last season. Um, and now uh, it's going to be, what, twice the fun in 21, I believe, is the slogan. It's going to be two days and so on. But, um, you know, I, I was a fan of football who watched a lot of football and put some writing skills to it. And lo and behold, I wound up at a paper in New York and ESPN. And now I write for various paper, uh, websites across the country. Um Again, I, I love what I do. I hopefully bring a lot of passion and knowledge to it. And I live by one very, very simple credo. Uh, everyone is right, but not everyone is accurate. <laughs> I like it. That's great. Now, as we were talking a little bit leading up to all this, you had mentioned that uh, you've been covering football for over 40 years now, right? Like you kind of mm -hmm. just mentioned it's been through a different, few different networks. You're now kind of doing your, your own thing per se, as you're writing, you know, for a bunch of different places right now. And we, we are going to hit on the hall of fame a little bit in here shortly. As you mentioned, that's one of your favorite things to do. You were telling me a little bit here too, as we were leading up to this, that the other thing you really enjoyed doing was the draft, right? Which is going to oh. kind of maybe be coming up soon. 
Yeah. Um, my first my first draft that I attended uh, was 1988 when it was still at the Mar- Marriott Marquis, and it did not become yet the extravaganza that it is now. I believe the draft was still on a Tuesday morning at that time. The first overall pick that year was a linebacker named Andre Bruce. A year later, Troy Aikman was the first overall pick. A year after that, one of my closest friends, a gentleman named Steve Kurtzman, happened to be getting married the weekend of the NFL draft. And he says, oh, Russ, I'm really sorry. I didn't even realize it was that. I said, well, Steve, it's not that big a deal. That's why they have, you know, video. Okay, you can record it. He says, yeah, that's a good point. I said, yeah, after your wedding is over, send me the tape. I'm going to the NFL draft, <laughs> so, which obviously I did not. I went to his wedding and so on. But uh, ironically enough, 1991 was the first time ESPN brought me aboard to help out with that. And years down the road, as my role evolved with them, I was the main NFL researcher for the draft. So in other words, I took care of the draft history and the team, what the teams were looking for and what they had done in the past in certain positions. Uh, I was not Mel Kuyper trying to figure out who does what and so on. Eventually Todd McShay uh, joining on as well. But, you know, that was like three months of really diving in. In fact, when I first started doing the draft cold, which I, for ESPN and I'll say 1991, that part of it, there was no free agency yet. There was a former free agency called um, Plan B, which was really you know, like not really free agency. It was kind of, and then of course they had the trial. Now we have the system that we have now, and so on. But I mean, you really like deep dived into that for like three months, and, and you know, then you sat there and in so many different venues, uh, the Marriott Marquis, and then it was uh, the Paramount Theater, and then Radio City, and one year at the Jacob Javits Center. It was just, a, it was a lot of fun. And then when it was over, you were like, you know, deep breath. And um, boy, and, and, and I can tell you this from doing all the graphics and other people. I mean, I, I, I put, provide the information for the graphics. I didn't necessarily do the graphics. Uh, Jim Chisholm, so many other people over the years and so on. Um, most of the stuff you had prepared, Colt, was not going to make the air. Mm, but right. one or a couple of things in there and so on, because it's impossible. All it takes is one pick for someone, you know, surprise pick to throw the whole draft. And you, now you see mock drafts even before, even before the season. Right, right. So I said to you, I don't do mock drafts anymore. Uh, my drafts are a mock. Right. So. That's funny because and I imagine like when you're doing it for ESPN, you know, each team's got their guys that is gathering all this data themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're expected to do every team, right? Like, oh, yeah, do well, what they've been doing and gather prepared. everybody, right, for what yeah, could possibly happen. Right. It's just being prepared and knowing the history and knowing GMs and what moves they cater to and what teams don't necessarily uh, like to pick in the first round, you know, for years and years and years. This is going back way years. And so the the Washington football team um, would always trade out of the first round. And, you know, be it the George Allen days and then later the Bobby Beathard days, they went to a huge stretch of not taking teams in the first round. And then you had other teams that were, it seemed like almost every year, um, like Tampa Bay uh, was, was drafting, you know, two guys in the first round. So it's stuff like, it's stuff like that and, and not overreacting to certain things. Um, and then again, knowing the history of uh, what these, these moves have made and so on. So again, that to me, the prep was more the fun part than even the execution. 
Yeah. What what was the thought process behind Washington? Not was there just at that time did they not have money? Were they just they well, went for free mean, agents? What was their deal with not wanting first round pick? I'm sorry. There was no salary cap in the league until 1994. The football was totally different than it is now. The injured reserve rules were different. And George Allen was a guy who believed in playing veteran players. Okay. So, I mean, that's why uh, when the, the 72 team um, made it to the Super Bowl and they played the undefeated Dolphins, um, that was known as the Over the Hill Gang. Okay, these were guys who had been play, playing in the league. I mean, guys, guys got guys off the scrap. He, he was a guy who didn't necessarily want to spend time, uh, you know, with rookies and rebuilding and so on. He wanted to win now. And George, you know, George Allen's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's, right. his, his philosophy served very, very well and so on. But now it's a different era with, with um, free agency. Again, free agency changed everything. In the league, I know for years and years and years, it seemed like we had the same same old teams in the Super Bowl, and now you've got all kinds of surprises. You've got I, I, I just did a piece twice in the last four years, a team that had a losing record the year before they got to the Super Bowl won the Super Bowl. Okay, that wasn't that had happened only three times previous in Super Bowl history. Now it's happened twice in four years. Um, five of the last six NFC champions. We're either eight and eight or below five hundred. That's insane. And they wind up in the Super Bowl. So, so I always, that's why I always kind of laugh sometimes when I hear, you know, this team's one and three, this team's one and five, season over, start to rebuild, et cetera. No, no, it's this league is different now. Going from last to first um, right. doesn't take that long. And and if you're the San Francisco 49ers, going from first to last doesn't take long either. Right. Well, Tampa, I mean, started real slow this year anyways, right before they got moving and grooving anyways, and they didn't have well, they, a great record, truly. Right. You know. no, well, they, they, first off, think about it. They hadn't been to the playoffs since 2007. They hadn't won a playoff game since the Super Bowl in 2002 when they, you know, when they beat the Oakland Raiders. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, they become the first wild card team since the, the Packers in 2010. And... There you go. And uh, by the way, for people who thought the league gave up defense, um, second time in three years that the team got to the Super Bowl didn't score a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, the defense definitely showed in that game to be the dominating factor again, for sure. And the back end of Tampa Bay was definitely ready to perform, and they performed at a high level. So absolutely, I agree with that. So before we uh, circle way too deep into the football rabbit hole here, uh, let's chat a little bit about uh, what we also came here to chat about. And that's a cause that you wanted to chat about a little bit. And so we're going to be chatting about, uh, excuse me, chatting about the American uh, Cancer Society a little bit. Uh, You want to chat a little bit about why um, you chose them to be your highlight charity? Well, I lost my mother um, more than 20 years ago uh, to cancer, and uh, it's uh, something I think about her all the time. Um, she was a very loving, giving soul who, um, when she passed away, cold. I remember saying at the church that uh, she was really back where she belonged. She actually subletted it on earth. Uh, for 60 years. She was that kind of a person. She made an uh, impact on a lot of people's lives. Uh, mother of nine. Um, it was her, old, her oldest child. And, um, you know, yeah, different ways of being able to, to help out. And so on. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite things to do for a number of years was a, a relay for life, uh, which was is something where you, you walk for certain miles and get sponsored and, and so on. And that was something. So, um, you know, always a worthwhile charity and, and something that I think that, 
you know, every, almost every day you hear something or someone or somebody uh, affected by that. So I think it's, it's still a very, very noble charity. Right. And it's a, and they do a ton of stuff, right? I mean, they, they are a massive platform. I, I've lost my mother to cancer a couple of years ago uh, as well, or complications right after dealing with cancer. So, you know, this hits home with me as well, you know, but they do, they do a lot of things outside of just, I mean, it's research, uh, you know, they support people in the community, uh, you know, they're out there, they're 24 by seven, really. I mean, because right. it's, it's such a huge umbrella of what they do, right? There is, there's doing something constantly, right? 24 hours right. a day, somewhere, around the world or somewhere around something is taking place fr- from what this foundation is doing, right? Um, so oh, there's no question about it. I mean, like I said, it, it, it's huge. I mean, you know, when I was at ESPN, they were, uh, you know, the Jimmy G Foundation that started there. Um, I'm sorry, not Jimmy G, Jimmy B. Jimmy, 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 Jimmy B, my apologies. Um, you know, the ESPYs and what they have done for you know, now more than 20 years. Um, the contributions they they made, and so on. Even some of the the people who who worked at ESPN uh, affected by cancer. You know, Stuart Scott, obviously, who I got a chance to work with for a long time on on football projects, uh, Monday Night Countdown, uh, different things like that. Uh, you know, it's just. Just something that uh, we have not been able to solve. And, uh, you know, who knows how long, but I mean, things have certainly improved over the years and so on. Um, but, um, yeah, it's uh, like I said, noble cause, noble charity. And, um, you know, I think everybody, again, repeating myself, but everybody, just about everybody's been affected by this one way or the other. Right. Absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, right. I mean, this is something that's still like you probably can walk into the grocery store and there's probably 10 people in there that have somebody or know somebody that is currently dealing with it or has dealt with it or somebody in their family's dealt with it. And that's the other cool things about, you know, like the American Cancer Society and I had Jenna Cottrell on uh, for episode one and she did the uh, Leukemia Lymphoma Society, which is also, you know, it's more centralized to that a little bit, but it also does. It's a bigger network as well. Um, The cool thing um, as I kind of started researching a little deeper into, you know, the American Cancer Society, when you said they were going to be who we were going to chat about a little bit, they've got a lot of cool things going on right now that are really research based that are for the future and uh, targeting teens a lot, you know, like the HPV vaccine and doing things mm-hmm. like that, that they believe could be long term things to help us moving forward and, you know, vaping, things like that that are dealing with since I have a teenager. Right. So that those are things that are present in my life currently right now too. So they help in a ton of ways. When you say cancer society, it doesn't just mean that it's only cancer, right? They do a ton of different things and they help out in a ton of different ways. So um, you'll absolutely be able to find uh, direct links in the show notes and everything um, of how you can directly donate, um, you know, like we typically do for the show and all that'll be available, you know, down below when we get going at the end of the show. So, uh, I wanted to chat with you a little bit specifically because as we were chatting a little bit, um, kind of when I was getting ready to ask you on the show, you had just come out with an article about the Hall of Fame. We had just found out about, you know, who's going to be inducted in this class, you know, well-known, I think a pretty well-known group realistically over, yes. over, over overall, you know, the names. I mean, I'm fairly young and I, you know, pretty much know about all of them in some form or aspect. And for the most part, a few of them you know, I've been my entire life, you know, Megatron, Peyton, you know, I grew up with those guys, but so your piece though, was talking about 30 guys that you think should, or potentially will probably be in the hall of fame in the future. Um, and I thought it was a, 
you know, really cool piece. And it, it brought up a lot of guys that I hadn't thought about in a long time, actually. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like that guy was incredibly good, but a couple of guys obviously stuck out to me. Um, we'll start with the first one that makes the, the direct connection, obviously being that he's a Buffalo bill is you have Steve Tasker in there. He was like number 21 on the list as somebody you believe should be in the hall of fame. What, what would be the case that you would make for Steve Tasker to be in the hall of fame? Well, it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I always like to point this out, like right off the top. Um, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is not run by the National Football League. It's a separate entity. So when I hear people, first off, I hear people say the NFL Hall of Fame, and, you know, me being an accuracy guy, even when I was at ESPN, no, it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We don't want to write NFL Hall of Fame. It is a separate entity. It, it recognizes things that the league doesn't. Um, in terms of professional football and certain records and so on, like the uh, All-American Football Conference is where we got the Cleveland Browns and the San Francisco 49ers and a, a brief version of the Baltimore Colts and so on. So, um, but Steve Tasker, it's the Pro Football Hall of Fame. For years, they couldn't get a punter in there. The greatest punter in the history of the league, a guy who was so good there's an award named after him, but they couldn't get <laughs> Into the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. Great guy into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, football is football, which means special teams is part of football. And how can you ignore what Steve Tasker has done? There, you know, there's a young man that is not so young anymore, Matthew Slater, right. uh, who's a special teams maven for the New England Patriots. Uh, we finally just got in uh, the second pure place kicker besides John Stenerud, and that's Morton Anderson. Um, I think many people believe, and it's hard to believe you won't be in one day, Adam Vinatieri, the NFL's all-time leading scorer points and field goals and everything he's done in the postseason and maybe made a pretty good kick or two in the snow. Um, 20 years ago now, by the way, that was the 2001 season when the Patriots were still playing at their old stadium. They weren't even in Gillette Stadium. But Steve Castor was a jack-of-all-trades on special teams. It wasn't just returns. It was coverage. It was a lot of different things. And again, if you're talking about professional football, you have to recognize that. And I, I think the Hall of Fame voters... Again, Ray Guy, I think, went in in 2014. Morton Anderson was in the like the last three or four years. Um, you, you see things changing in terms of the voting. Now, they still obviously have the restrictions on the modern day guides and so on. And, you know, I delve a little into that. And uh, as, as people, con- and I got a lot of comments on that piece. And I've done various forms of that piece in the past, Colt, like uh, the greatest by one team, you know, who's the biggest omission by one team. So, I mean, I could have probably done 60 or 80, but no one's going to sit and read 60, <laughs> right, 60 right. or 80 and so on. So, um, and, and I'm constantly taking notes and updating and people, you know, when you stumble upon people. Um, and I thought the NFL, I'm sorry, the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, did a good job with the Centennial class. You know, they added those other people and expanded the class for 2020. Unfortunately, there were no, was no ceremony and so on. Um, but listen, I wish I was a voter one day. It's hard. Um, you know, they, they have their panel. And um, again, Steve Tasker, to me, is he's really the when you think about special teams guys, as far as the overall special teams type of person, you think of him. Now, I know, that, you know, let's put it this way, Colt, there's going to be an interesting case coming up very, very soon, and that's Devin Hester. Right. Okay? Who, I mean, if he had his, 
hands on the ball, it was going the other way for a touchdown. You know, kickoff returns, punt returns, even a missed field goal return. Um, the first play in Super Bowl 41 touchdown. It's like watching Forrest Gump every right. time he has the ball. And so, and so it's not, I mean, he eventually put up somewhat receiving numbers. He was really a defensive back. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do you, how do you realistically keep Devin Hester out of the pro football hall of fame? The impact he had as far as all those touchdowns and so on. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm hoping and I'm, I'm thinking that the pro football hall of fame voting is, a, is ex- expanding a little and so on. Again, they have certain limitations in terms of the modern day guys. Um, and maybe they need to loose it up on some of the, the players that are, you know, now on the seniors committee and so on. Um, but that's not for me to say. Right. Uh, again, there's, there's so many players that you look at. I mean, just narrowing the list to, to 30 was tough. And some of the guys I had on the list originally entering Saturday night actually got in, um, like an Alan Fanica who had waited yeah. for a few years and so on. Uh, and I know for fans and, and to a degree, um, first ballot is very, very important to a lot of people and so on. But I look at it this way. And some guys have waited a long time. And, you know, there was a lot of uproar about Terrell Owens not getting in until the third time. Wide receivers rarely Rarely. Calvin Johnson was the exception, a first ballot wide receiver. You just don't see that a lot. But I look at this. I look at Jerry Kramer waited 40 years and he was as gracious as anyone when he finally got in and so on. So if somebody can wait 40 years, you can wait 10. Right. Absolutely. And Tasker to me too, like he had, like for even the guys that we mentioned that you just mentioned, right. He, he played on both sides of the ball. He, he, he was making plays. He was making big tackles. He was making, he's catching huge passes when they needed him. He was doing a lot of different things. And I think a lot of the guys that are really good at it now, like the punt return and that they don't do all the other pieces to the puzzle, right. They're, they're a cornerback that does really good at returns or, you know, even Woodson, he was like, he got in and he, he, he he deviled in the return game a little bit and he was pretty good at it, you know, but I think Tasker overall just, he deserves to be in there and I think he'll get in. I, I think eventually he's going to get in, right? Like he he fits the piece that like you've talked about, they're expanding it a little bit, it seems. And he feels like a guy that should be there, especially because just about everybody else on those teams is is getting in or, you know, I mean, so I feel like he's definitely going to be in there at some point. Just when I say expanding, I, I almost, I want to say like expanding knowledge, not necessarily the numbers and so on, but you actually just hit on something very key. If you think about some of those other guys, when you think, you think about kick returner, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about Steve Tester, you say special teams, right? which encompasses everything, which is, you know, blocking punts, tackling, you know, kick, on kickoff returns and so on. That's yeah. what I think of Steve Tasker. I don't think of him as the beat-all, end-all return artist and the beat-all, end-all in a certain department. I just think if you were playing password, you would say special teams and you would say Tasker. Right. Well, even like the Bills right now, they have Andre Roberts, who I think is phenomenal at returning. I mean, he's proving yeah. it for the past few years. He's very good at right. returning the ball. He's done it with a few teams, as a matter of fact, too. And, and right. he's very good at it. Yeah, the knack. There are guys who have a knack 
um, and this, this might surprise some people from going back a few years and so on. Uh, Lynn Swan, who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, is wide receiver, and, and it's some of the most spectacular catches uh, in NFL history, especially in the Super Bowl, where he always seemed to come up big. Uh, his first year in the league was one of the best punt returners. Some guys are great streak down the field guys. Some guys are great over the middle guys. And some guys are, once they get their hand on the ball, be it reception or punt, know how to maneuver through a defense or special teams and so on. And that's what you see with a lot of these guys, especially now, I think more because of the way stats have evolved. Um, you see a lot more emphasis on yards after the catch. Right. Okay. And you could probably do a similar breakdown as yards, you know, after a punt return, et cetera, et cetera. Right. For sure. And the other guy that I really liked on the list, uh, which kind of you touched on another question I was going to ask you, because Calvin Johnson is one of the first wide receivers to get the first ballot nod. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's some folks that feel like the wide receiver position should not be a position that even should be considered to be a first ballot. But I mean, this guy, carried a franchise for years right like i mean anytime they needed a play made you knew who they were going to go to mm -hmm. the other team put their entire team on him and he still would come down with the ball and make the play and when you hear him talk afterwards he was playing and he was he was playing with a lot of things going on personally and mentally and he was still executing at that level doing his job you know when he needed to yeah, um, what a size, quickness, um, hands combination. Um, and his numbers over in nine seasons were almost impossible to ignore. Right. Um, you know, still owns, uh, well, still, it wasn't that long ago, um, owns the most receiving yards in a season in NFL history. And, and, and it's one of those things because Calvin Johnson didn't play in a lot of playoff games. Right. Um, and the Lions have obviously not had a lot of postseason success. They haven't won a playoff. You know, it's funny when the Matthew Stafford trade, which doesn't become official for a couple of weeks, right, happened, right. I heard critics said, well, he never won a playoff game. Well, the Lions haven't won a playoff game since 1991. I don't think I can hang that on Matthew Stafford. Right. That was 18 years before he even got into the league. That's been that a team a, issue. Yeah. yeah well, Hall of Fame is an individual honor. Right. So when I hear people pointing out one this, one that, one this, one that, there are a slew of guys in the Hall of Fame who were great players who didn't have really postseason success. You know, you go back to Gail Sayers and Dick Butkus, who were drafted in the same round by the Bears in 1965. When you think of middle linebacker, you think Butkus. When you think of Gail Sayers, you know, you think Brian Song, and, well, anytime he had the football. I mean, he's a rookie, scored six touchdowns in a game as a rookie and did it rushing, receiving, and returns. So neither one of them ever played the postseason game, okay? The postseason was different. And Gale's career didn't last that long. 1965 was not like it is now or even like it was when the merger happened and so on. But those guys didn't have any kind of championship success. But when you watch them, are you telling me, you, didn't, you know, wow. You know, you always hear about Dan Marino. Dan Marino played in one Super Bowl. Uh, but if you watch his night, I still say to this day, his 1984 season, Colt, was – the greatest season I ever saw by a quarterback. I mean, a flick of the wrist and 48 touchdown passes. Okay. Now we see 50 and we see 55 and they don't mean a lot. Okay. Either did Marino's that year. They got smoked in the Super Bowl by the 49ers right. to watch him that year, which I remember vividly, even though it was a long time ago was like, 
wow, I mean, is anybody going to stop this guy? Eventually their own defense did. Okay. It tripped him up and so on. But as far as one season goes, that one was hard to top. Yeah. Well, the other guy you had on your list, who was a favorite of mine growing up, I grew up loving Andre Reed. And Sterling Sharp was just uh, amazing. He was such a good wide receiver. And, you know, he he got his career cut short, obviously, with that, you know, terrible injury that he suffered. But he just was so, so good. Like, it just, like, he feels like, you know, like when you talk about, like, Julio Jones and those guys nowadays, how they just feel like he felt like that to me watching him as a kid. Like, he just, you needed a play, that was the guy. And he wasn't, like, this big, huge, massive guy, or he wasn't doing, like, anything like extraordinary. He was just grinding and always working harder than everybody else making plays. It seemed like, and I just loved him. I mean, even his brother, right. Who, when he got inducted and you have it in your article said that he was the second best receiver in his family. Right. I mean, that should tell you something like it'll be awesome. If Sterling Sharp gets in to the pro football hall of fame, in my opinion, with a shortened career, I understand it's going to be a challenge, right. For that to happen. But he was so good. But you're seeing more of the shortened career type, like the Terrell, Terrell Davis and so on, um, the impact he had in the league. Listen, I, I approach Sterling Sharp from two different perspectives, historical and somewhat personal. Um, after he left the Packers, he spent eight years at ESPN and worked with us there, so I got to know him a little and so on. And uh, 595 catches in seven years. He was the first player to get 100 two back-to-back years. Now we think of 100 receptions. It's not that big of a deal. The thing about Sterling, he's so strong. Um, Five-time pro pro bowler in seven years, but even more significantly called a three-time all-pro in just seven years. So I know Shannon recently, you know, has has talked about his brother and so on. I was there um, the year in which he said, I get emotional just thinking about what he said because I consider Sterling a friend and so on. And and I didn't write about Sterling because I consider him a friend. It's just, you look at these numbers in seven years where he never missed a regular season game. Uh, When he was done in 1994, they made the playoffs, but he did not play in the playoffs, but 595 and 65 touchdowns in 112 games is hard to overlook. And, you know, we talk about Calvin Johnson who only played nine years um, where there are some wide receivers that played 13 and 14, have over a thousand yard, a thousand receptions and are not in yet. Okay. I mean, Heinz Ward's a great case to right. talk about because Heinz Ward's not only a guy who caught a thousand passes, he also knocked your socks off when it comes to being a blocker. Mm-hmm. Okay. He also did other things as well. You talk about a complete football player, but Sterling was, um, he was something to watch. He really was. I came up big in the playoffs in 93 in Detroit and so on. Big Thanksgiving Day game in Dallas in 94. Um, a lot of fun to work with, highly knowledgeable and so on. And I think maybe down the road uh, I could see him get in. But uh, that might be my favorite hall. I've been attending the, the ceremonies to the, for the Hall of Fame regularly for the most part, a couple of exceptions, since 1989 when – they were still on the steps. They were Saturday morning. The first class I went to was Willie Wood, Art Shell, Mel Blunt, and Terry Bradshaw. The Hall of Fame game was at 2.30 in the afternoon. The stadium was not redone like it is now. Um, it was a totally different setup than it is now. It's all where everything pretty much is in the stadium and, and so on. So, um, But that might be one of my favorite, if not my favorite moments, was just watching – Shannon Sharp on his night, 
his night talking about being the second best football player in his entire family. Right. That's crazy. That's very, very cool. Very cool. Uh, do you, would they be the first uh, brothers to be in the hall of fame? Um, I know that. I believe they. I believe they are. I don't have that right off the top of my head, and yeah. so on. I mean, we've had father and sons like uh, Art Rooney and um, and Dan Rooney, and so on. But I don't think there are any brothers. Uh, although that would be funny. You know, it would be really funny. Would be or interesting. Let's say just by chance, Shannon. I mean, Sterling Sharp and Clay Matthews Jr. get in at the same year, and then all of a sudden you go from none to two because of two, course. Right. Who I don't think ever missed a game and, you know, lined up at five different positions on the offensive line and a 14 time pro bowler. And Clay Matthews is another one of those guys. I think he's now in the seniors committee because he's been on the ballot too long per se. Um, you know, now has to get like a senior nomination, um, you know, like Drew Pearson did. Okay. And Drew Pearson got in and, and some of the guys I talked about in the piece, obviously are going to have to wait for that senior nomination. And I, I guess there's been a discussion. There's only one senior nominee every year. Could they make that too? I think that would be a great idea because it would really make up for the backlog in terms of one thing I always like to point out about the pro football hall of fame cult, the NFL as we, as it is constituted, it wasn't called the NFL in 1920, but that was the first year. Okay, so professional football, as far as the way we know it, the Pro Football Hall of Fame did not open until 1963. That's 43 years of making up in some sense, if you understand what I'm saying. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, kind of moving on from the Hall of Fame stuff a little bit, we'd like because we just talked about kind of like two totally different eras, basically, because now the players in today's society have a lot more control, it seems, in in where they want to play and who, who they're going to play with and that kind of stuff. So it brings up the hottest topic running around the NFL right now, I think is, do you think in your opinion, Watson or Wilson not wanting to be traded, um, but he's got four teams that he'd consider being traded to. If he were to think about being traded, he does have some options, right? But do you think either one of these guys are going to move this off season? I think it would take an awful lot. Okay, to move them, even though, you know, I know it's been speculated that Deshaun Watson could sit out the year, right. which I think would not be the smartest thing to do in the world. And and, and I say it for this reason, because a lot of people bring up the aspect of rustiness. Say you sit out for a year. OK. Um, and then there, and I hear that they well, how would that affect for me? And I'm not a coach. I'm not a GM. I never played and so on. I would always wonder about a player who was willing to sit out a year. Okay. How much he really, really wanted to play. And that's, I'm not accusing or saying anything about Deshaun Watson because I don't know Deshaun Watson from every indication of Deshaun Watson. This is a guy who does an enormous amount for the Houston community. He's been doing it since he got there. Right. Okay. Um, the guy led the league in passing yards, although that's not necessarily a great thing, um, depending on the situation. Right. Uh, okay. And history will also tell you one of my favorite stats, 55 years of Super Bowls and not one player has ever led the league in passing yards and won the Super Bowl the same season. So uh, there's a lot to be said for this right. and passing in this league. In fact, Tom Brady's only the second quarterback in the Super Bowl era to throw at least 40 touchdown passes in the regular season and win the Super Bowl the same year. The other one was Kurt Warner back in 1999. So that's so a lot of time. 
a lot of touchdown passes wins you a fantasy football league. The reality football league doesn't necessarily always add up that way. So, um, but the, the, the Texans don't want to trade him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and now they're in the process of releasing players, which is standard for this time of year. They let Duke Johnson go today. They let Nick Martin, uh, a guy who's pretty, been pretty much a starter to them for four years. That one really kind of surprised me. More yeah, I saw than that one. That caught my eye. I was like, whoa, hey. A piece I did today. You can sign those guys now. You don't have to wait till March 17th. Okay. Right. Their contracts didn't expire. They were terminated. That's, that's why JJ Watt can sign at any time right now. Mark Ingram, um, Adam Humphreys, who just let go uh, by the Tennessee Titans. There's so many guys out there and so on. Um, as for Russell Wilson, this one is, this one is like a roller coaster. Okay. Russell Wilson has never missed a game for the Seattle Seahawks. He's been there nine years. He's never uh, not started a game that includes the playoffs, including the playoffs. He's been sacked a lot. Um, His role on the team has changed very much like Tom Brady's role changed with the Patriots after he was there basically seven or eight years. Russell Wilson really now kind of carries that offense. He used to be, uh, a complimentary piece. I, game manager cracks me up, okay? Everybody's right. a game manager, okay? Um, but he was a complimentary piece. Just just goes to show you better have a pretty good defense. It just always comes back to that. And so, but he's put up astounding numbers the last three or four years, okay? But they don't run the ball like they used to, and they don't have the defense. I, I mean, this re- remains a team game. I'd still be hesitant to see either one of them move, and if you, but this is a league where it's never say never. And I can remember about um, sometime in mid March last year, just before free agency started, DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona, and that was right. mind boggling cold. Right, mind boggling. And, and it's to me, it's less about what they got for him, which wasn't very much, and the fact that it even happened. Okay. And, you know, of course, Tyler Murray didn't take advantage of him or anything, didn't he? He only caught, what, 115 passes? Yeah. Whatever. So, yeah, he so. didn't have a good year at all. No, no, he was terrible. Hail Marys and take your pick and so on. So, um, again, it's it's the hot topic. And, we're you know, we've already seen some major changes in terms of quarterbacks. The first two picks in the 2016 draft, you know, five years later, neither one of them are with the team that drafted him. Right. Yeah, for me, it's just it's wild. Like Russell, I get his point about being a little upset about getting hit all the time because he's been taking a beating for years. Right. But part of that is the way he plays the game. I mean, he he runs around and that's when he's at his best. So there's going to be only so much your offensive line can do when you're scrambling all over the place. Right. So I can see both sides of it a little bit. Right, and he's more than just a scrambler. He's also a downfield guy too. Some, you know, you think Fran Tarkenton, and 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 he was a scrambler. He wasn't necessarily a guy who ran down the field. Russell does a little. He's always on the move, and it, and it's an asset to him. There's no question about it. Right. Um, but when you're throwing all the time and becoming that predictable, eventually it's, you're going to wind up in trouble. So, I mean, sacks are not all on the offensive line. Right. Okay. Um, I want to say he's he's taken a beating throughout his career, and early on when they were in the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl, their offensive line was above average. Right. 
which they don't have a very good one right now, which, no. which they also, I feel like they did this quick transition where they were like, we run, we run, we run. And then they're like, wait, we have Metcalf and we have Lockett. We throw now, we throw now, we throw now. And it's like, wait, can your offensive line do the throw now, throw now, right? They're not built that way. They're built to run, right? And then hold up for play action. So, and then Watson, I just, I don't understand. Like I get he, his numbers this year were great and everything, but like you mentioned, it's because the team was not good, right? He was, he was having to do a lot of that because they were giving up points and everything. Else, so, but he's still to me. Yeah, go ahead. It started out very strong this year. You will notice uh, both Tennessee and Seattle were both five and zero, and their defenses eventually betrayed them. Pittsburgh was eleven and zero, but they, they refused to run the football. Okay, and um, you see, but you brought up a great point about the offensive line. And I remember having this conversation years and years and years ago. When you pass all the time, um, you're always backing up. As an offensive lineman, okay? You get out of the habit of dry blocking and going forward, okay? You know, it's just like, I mean, when Dan Marino was doing his thing and so on, you know, he had quality offensive lines, but they were always backing up to protect him, not necessarily pushing forward, okay? That was one thing about the Buccaneers' playoff drive that was kind of underrated. was They were able to run the football with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones, their offensive line stepped up in a big way. Okay, I mean, you know, you're not you're not blocking for the run if you're moving backwards, and you got to have that kind of balance in this league. It's great to talk about these quarterbacks and all these passing numbers, but eventually, why is it that we haven't had an MVP in this league win the Super Bowl? And I know it's an award awarded by the Associated Press and and so on, so on, but the last regular season MVP to be on a Super Bowl winning team the same year was Kurt Warner in 1999. That's 20 plus years. I don't think that's a coincidence. Right. That's a, that's a very long time. It, yes. it, it feels weird. It, it feels like something that should be like done at the end of the year. Like they should just wait until the entire Super Bowl is over and everything. And then the MVP should almost be awarded because to me, it's a, the longer you're playing, that's part of you being the best player on your team and the one that should be the MVP. I mean, if you're taking your team all the way to the end, that puts you up higher to me instead of you had great numbers in the regular season, but your team's not playing anymore. Well, that's, I, I understand that argument and so on. Um, but on the other hand, then, then you would probably disappear with the Super Bowl MVP would disappear. Okay. Um, and then, it, you know, it's already a little quarterback heavy to begin with. Right. Okay. So, I mean, very rarely do you have, um, you know, somebody from the other position. We saw, you know, LaDainian Tomlinson win it one year and Terrell Davis and Sean Alexander, uh, Adrian Peterson back in 2012 and so on. So I see both sides at that coin and so on. Um, I, I don't mind it. It's a regular season award because for every other sports, there are regular season awards and then there's postseason. I mean, hockey has all kinds of postseason awards. Right. I know that. I don't even watch that much hockey. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I see both sides of that and so on, but that'd be a good point. I mean, I, I think there were people, including myself as, I don't know if I would have necessarily given Tom Brady the Super Bowl MVP, you know, I, I, Levante David, Devin White, you know, yeah. take your pick. I mean, you know, Tom Brady is phenomenal. He's a great, great story. Um, what they did last this year and doing what Tom Brady and the Saints lost 38 to and the Bucks lost 38 3 to the Saints during the regular season. A 35 point loss. No team in that's ever won the Super Bowl lost a point a game by that many points in a regular season. And they rebounded and won the whole thing. 
Right. There felt it started to feel like there was just a lot of momentum and things like that taking place, right? That's what it takes. And that's why, you know, people and coaches and other people who follow this game and watch this game and play this game are always very hesitant about teams shutting things down in week 17, right. um, you know, and killing off that momentum. I could cite so many examples. The Colts for years, I think, almost shot themselves in the foot uh, by slowing down at the end of the year and so on. And then the one year they won it with Tony Dungy, they had to play to get the third seed. They played four playoff games and bingo, there you go. Yeah, I was clamoring all all season for the Bills to keep playing. You know, no, don't set them down. Keep playing, keep playing, keep your momentum, keep whooping everybody. Yeah, yeah. keep going, ride it. Right, and that paid off because Buffalo was so interesting watch this year because they were one of those teams that could prove they could win the high-scoring game and then the defensive struggle like they did, uh, you know, in, in the win game. I'll call it the win game with Baltimore right. in the playoffs and so on. Yeah, so I know we're getting a little later into this, so I wanted to see what you've been kind of – I know you're working on right now. You've been going through the divisions a little bit, doing free agents, you know, targets for each kind of team. Who? What division would you say right now, if you had to just pick one, of them, would you say is the best division from top to bottom in the NFL right now? Well, they had three teams make the playoffs this year, and one day we're going to get, I know we're going to get a division that wears all four. Because now that we're at 14 mm-hmm. um, teams and seven per conference, I think it's going to happen. Um, and when we got down to the final eight, two of the teams were in, that was the AFC North. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh won the division at 12 and four, and they were clearly not the best team. Right. By the year in that division, it might have been Baltimore. It could have been Cleveland. I know Cleveland got tripped up by the Jets, but that was a game where they really didn't have any wide receivers um, and so on. And, you know, I think from top to bottom, and you saw Cincinnati who made strides when Joe Burrow was healthy. And even when he wasn't there late in the year, beating the Steelers on a Monday night, beating the Texans in Houston, going on the road and doing that. So I think from top to bottom, I mean, uh, some of these divisions are very top heavy. Okay. Um, think about the Chiefs uh, in, in the AFC West who really haven't been pushed that hard. They were right. pushed by hard by the Chargers back in 2018. Okay. When they both had 12 and four records. Okay. The AFC South is pretty much a coin flip. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's funny for all the dysfunction in Houston, They've won the division like four times in <laughs> right. six years. Right. Okay, the AFC East obviously was was dominated for eleven years by the Patriots, and this year that you know obviously the Bills were to me clearly the best team in the division. I know Miami finished ten and six, but um, they were erratic at times. They started out a little slow. There's pieces there to work with. The NFC East, uh, I can't really involve them in the conversation right now. What we saw, I think some people would push for the NFC West with Seattle Rams, but who knows what that division is going to look like. We already saw one quarterback change. Right. Okay. So I, I would say is, and to me, you also have to point out when it comes to the AFC North, you've got one coach that's been there since 2007. One coach has been there since 2008. One guy who's still kind of learning in Zach Taylor. And one guy whose first year as a head coach, he was NFL coach of the year. Right. So I look at all of that and say, at least for now, and this changes, you know, really, really quickly. Um, I got to say from top to bottom, the AFC North is the division because I think of the style they play. Um 
for the most part, their defenses. Okay, Cleveland's still got some work to do. Baltimore is very opportunistic. Pittsburgh knows how to rush the quarterback. We know that. Right. Uh, Cincinnati obviously has some work to do. But I would say the AFC North from top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, realistically, Cleveland was a fumble out of the end zone away from potentially not even letting Kansas City be in the AFC championship mm-hmm. the way they were playing that game. So yeah. they're definitely on the uphill. I agree. I think the Pittsburgh with Roethlisberger, they've, there's going to be a definite fall off when the decision's made of who's going to fill in behind Ben in the future. Right. But for right now, moving into next season, that definitely looks very competitive. I I anticipate the chargers may push a little bit this year again on Kansas city with Herbert. I think he's, he's real good quarterback. I think talent there. I mean, they lost some guys, but the wide receiving core is very solid. It'd be, it'd be, it would behoove them to hang on to Hunter Henry because safety valve is a tight end. He's an above average tight end. You know, he had a little injury problem in a couple of years ago, but he's been pretty sound ever since then. Um, Could use a little more help on the offensive line, a little more consistency on defense, but the the head coach now, Brandon Staley is a defensive specialist. So we'll see what happens with them with that. But yeah, I think the chargers have teased people Mm-hmm. For a few years, the last couple of years have been disappointing, but they finish with a flourish. Right. Absolutely. And the NFC West, I think, is going to be in the conversation pretty much every year, it feels like, with yes. especially now, because I think all four of them are really could flip flop each other at any given point in time moving through any year. It's if they quarterbacks and everybody stay in place the way that they are right now. You know, well, I think San Francisco took a big hit last year with injuries, but yes. this year they should rebound defensively, even though they're losing their coordinator. I think the pieces are still there that and they're fit to play that division is one of those divisions like you mentioned with the north where they're built to play each other mm-hmm. and, and they're just they're always going to be tight with each other i just feel like the same with afc north it always feels like it's going to be that way unfortunately like the afc south feels that way but it's not necessarily for a good reason and the right. nfc east it feels absolutely like that and it's definitely not for a good reason right but well, like, you think about it right off the top of my head i want to say the nfc west has sent four teams to the Super Bowl in the past eight years. Right. Seattle, back-to-back, the Rams in 2018, and um, the Niners in 2019. So, I mean, that's half of the, you know, you know, figure out the rest and so on. You know, Tampa's obviously in there, and Philadelphia is obviously in there, and I I don't think I'm missing anybody. But um, like you said, that's a great – I I like your analogy there, too. Built to play each other because any – Coach or GM will tell you your first priority is to beat the team in your division. When you're building a team, win the division and learn how to play. And that's why these divisions all kind of have styles. I'm right. still trying to figure out what kind of style the NFC East has, though. <laughs> right. It's yeah. well, they're going for the least wins to get in. That's what they're working on right now. And they're getting very good at it. They're getting very, very, very good at it. Uh, if you had to pick one spot on the Bills roster right now, you would upgrade. What would it be? Defensive front. Okay, I'd like to see them a little sturdier against the run. Mm-hmm. I go back, and it didn't necessarily happen in the AFC title game, but I remember that game against the Chiefs when they got gashed for 245 on the ground. Right. And, um, you know, uh, Starlet, to track me if I'm wrong, Starlet to uh sat out last year, right. you know, yep. for COVID and so on. Um, and he's a good run stopper. I wouldn't say he's a, a real plugger and so on, but I'm a. For years and years, I worked with Tom Jackson, obviously the ESPN. We always had the discussion, you're not a really great defense 
unless you can stop the run. The sacks are great, the takeaways are great. But if a team can run on you, eventually they're going to wear you down. So I would like to see the Bills. That's one, it was funny, so many, so many people talk about New England, okay? They're devoid of weapons, they're devoid of this. They can't stop the run anymore. That was always Walmart. When they Remember, when they turned their team around in 2001, Colt, the pick in the first round was Richard Seymour. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the first round, he did a lot of a lot for them uh, for a number. They won three Super Bowls in the first four years he was there. So I would like to see the Bills a little sturdier on defense in terms of that front seven. And uh, you know, you got Sean McDermott there. He certainly knows his defense and so on. And I think they were at times this year just not as dominant. I mean, the numbers show it. Okay, touchdowns allowed and so on and. you know, I think if they were better against the run, it would put the other team into more passing situations. And they, they have some, you know, Jerry Hughes can still get after the quarterback and so on. So that that's what I would like to see them get. I mean, I'm old school in that regard. Right. But it's funny how old school still holds up, even though this league is 101 years old. Right. Well, we just watched Tampa do it with old school, just get after the quarterback, right, and tear it up. So I, I agree with that. And like you mentioned earlier, we don't know stars coming back. Yes, he's right. he's he's good, but he's had a year off. I I agree with you on that. Like the the, the time of taking off, you don't know what that's going to do to you, right? Like right. you don't you don't, and your body's so accustomed to doing this thing over and over and over and over and over, and then now you just don't do it, and then you're going to come right back and do it. I feel like you're like definitely going to be like a person that's in the higher percentage of potential injury because your body's not going to be used to it and things like that. So I agree. I, for being one of the highest paid defensive lines in the league, I think the highest we didn't do enough on all aspects. I do hope star does come back and play well. Cause I believe Ed Oliver improved enough this year playing out of position that when we can move him back to where he should be, we should see an, a nice solid year out of him this year. But so we're pushing a, a little over 50 some odd minutes here. So uh, I know you got all sorts of stuff going on. You're busy. Um, before we head out of here, uh, the discussion's been awesome. I really pre- appreciate your time, Russell. Um, but why don't you uh, take some time here and just let everybody know kind of what's going on with you, uh, what you're working on moving forward, where they can find you, um, because you're a wealth of knowledge. You're everywhere. So, uh, you got stuff everywhere. So why don't you uh, take the wheel a little bit here and let people know. Well, I, I, I use uh, Twitter as a, as a work tool. Okay, that's why I always stress the, the Twitter account. My handle is Backs Football Guru. Um, it plays off the, the website, uh, Pro Football Guru, which we're making the transition to full press coverage right now, joining them and so on. Um, it's just for the record, I am not a guru. Um, I am more of a Buddha, if you've uh, ever met me and so on. Pro Football Guru comes from um, my years being on uh, with Mike and Mike, when Mike and Mike were on ESPN and Mike Greenberg, when I used to do a segment called The Five Things You Need to Know, which was basically four things about the NFL and one cheap shot at Greeny because of his Jets obsession. Um, <laughs> he would always introduce me as the dean and the guru of the ESPN research department. Um, so it just kind of carried over from there. And so as far as the name of the website and so on, but backs football guru, um, I have a co-writer and a podcast partner named Julie Voigt, and you can follow her account on Julie noted as in duly noted. It's Julie noted PFG. And then of course we have PFG vibe. All three of these are on Twitter and, uh, Part of the website as well. Vibe is Voigt's Insights and Baxter's Expertise, V-I-B-E. 
Okay. Don't ask how I came up with that. It's a long and boring story. So um, if you follow those, now there's pro football gurus on Facebook, it's on Instagram. Um, but again, I use Twitter more as a conduit to get my work out there and so on. Uh, you know, I think for work people who do what we do and so in the media, Twitter is more suited for that. Um, so it's, it's instantly, you can write a story, it gets published and then you can send it out to all your uh Followers and uh, my, my count just hit fifty three uh, thousand uh, yesterday. I think it was so you know, somebody's paying attention, or they just like football. I think they just like football. But uh, because I've been around as long as I have, I've also had a lot of people who I've worked with in the industry, and they follow on the account and so on. So you get a lot of insight from guys who are in television, uh, former players, um, former GMs, all who follow me, and vice versa, and so on. And if you know, if you're paying attention, you can get some really good information by following any one of those three uh, Twitter accounts. Awesome. And uh, all that stuff will be in the show notes available for you guys. You know, all the Twitter links, all that kind of stuff will be in there everywhere so that you can uh, get in contact with Russell and find his work. We'll all be in the show notes and everything like that. And Julie's info will be in there as well. So, and uh, we'll also have uh, all the links to the American Cancer Society will be in there. So if you guys want to go and donate, absolutely can. Um, Russell, Awesome. Uh, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, like I, I couldn't believe when you said yes, that you, you were going to come and chat with me because you just uh, you've got so much so much going on that is so intriguing to hear. And it's super exciting to chat with you. So thank you, uh, everybody that's uh, you know going to see the video of this. You know, thanks for watching. Uh, you're listening. Uh, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, the Buffalo nerd is about getting getting the story out there, meeting some cool people, hearing some different things, different views of the bills, getting different points of view. Um, you know, everything from the Buffalo Nerd, uh, if you guys want to support the show and what I'm up to, uh, it's buffalonerd.com, or you can just head to the uh, Patreon, type in the Buffalo Nerd, you'll find out over there. You can actually come and be part of the live show here with uh, Russell and myself, where you could be uh, asking questions and doing that kind of stuff. So go ahead and check all that stuff out. Um, but besides that, I think Russell and I are going to call it a show for today. Um, thank you very much for watching, listening. Uh, of course, this is a Bill show, so go Bills. Uh, thank you again, Russell, for being here. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Buffalo Nerd with Colt Schroeder. Before you go, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Find Colt on all social channels at The Buffalo Nerd and at TheBuffaloNerd.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.